As you're walking in, let me just remind you guys that um, after, the, after the conference today, the Resource Center will be open. You guys can get some books. Um, we're gonna, one of these questions will actually pertain to church planning. A couple of these questions will pertain to church planning. If you're just starting to think, like, could I be a church planner? What's it, what's it mean to be a church planner? Um, this book, uh, Church Planner, by, um, <laughs> by Darren Patrick, um, is by far one of the best books I've read on just calling and um, what kind of men are called a church plant and what the message is and the mission. So I um, really encourage you, if you're just starting to think through, like, is this something I could do? I don't know. To get this book, um, this is kind of like mandatory reading in some ways for a lot of my guys that are coming to redemption. Uh, it's, it's that good. Um, and then um, for every guy in here, that's every guy that's breathing that struggles with lust. Um, Josh Harris's book is amazing. Uh, he talks about how sometimes in the Christian culture we um, think sex is just really, really bad. So we just because sin associated with it. And his book um, title is really good. It says, "Sex is not the problem; lust is." Uh, so sin is. And so this is a great book, a great resource to have um, just to make a change fight. And um, a guide to biblical manhood. I've never read this, but. Um, I'm guessing it's pretty good if Trent ordered it. So, um, <laughs> um, oh, he knows. Okay, he knows the guy, so it's really good then. Um, it is good. Um, but anyway, these are all. <laughs> he's getting some money, I, f- I figure, from this. Um, <laughs> these are all available. Also, a couple other books out there. Um, you Can Change by Tim Chester. One of the re- just a really good book, just to think about discipleship, think about some idols or sin in your life, um, counseling, biblical counseling. This book is one of the best. Uh, it's out there. And um, Sex, Romance, and the Glory of God. And this is, um, one's more specifically to husbands. And it's by C.J. Mahaney. And it's really good. It's easy read. I-, I read it like an hour and a half sitting. It was really easy read. Um, but it's just a lot to chew on about. How to love your wife. How to romance your wife. Um, one thing that CJ says is, and I think one of the best lines he has in there is, before you touch your wife's body, touch her heart. Um, and so it's just a really good book. Real foundational if you're just trying to think through, how can I love, how can I be a, hu- a better husband? So anyway, these are all available out at the Resource Center, which is right out those doors. Uh, after the conference, they'll be available. Um, all right. So we got... A, a new guy with us. Um, Pastor Ryan is the teaching elder here at Desert Springs. And um, Pastor Ryan, would you um, just share with us, I've asked these guys these questions, um, just how you met Jesus. Yeah, uh, I grew up in a Catholic home, um, at least until about second grade. And then um, my parents both made professions of faith. We found ourselves in a fundamentalist Baptist church. Um, so quickly there was pressure on me to believe, and I thought that I did, um, walked an aisle, made a profession of faith, said the prayer, uh, and then really struggled throughout junior high and high school with assurance, and for good reason, because, um, because the Lord didn't have my heart, I knew I was faking it, I was one person at church, another person at school with my friends, and, um, you know, so I would go forward the next Sunday and, you know, recommit, or, you know, say that I wasn't a Christian, and, uh, you know, some moron deacon would always say to me, you know, well, look in your Bible. You know, there's a date written in your Bible, and look, you must be a Christian. You said the prayer. Come on. 
Um, and so I just knew that, that something wasn't <laughs> gelling there. And so probably, I think my junior year, uh, senior year of high school, uh, reading the book of First John, I was uh, again pressed with uh, realization of uh, my heart not not being his, not having forgiveness. I didn't look like what First John was saying Christians um, should look like. And so I, I cried out to God and said, um, you're going to have to like bend the rules. Right? I didn't know anything else than just say this prayer and then poof, you're a Christian. And so I kept saying the prayer in different forms of the prayer. I'd you know, read a new version of the, the prayer in the back of a track or something and think, oh, I didn't do that one. Let me try that one, see if that one works. And uh, so I thought that that was the only way you did get saved. I just knew it wasn't working with me. And so I cried out to God and said, you're just going to have to save me some other way. You're just going to have to actually just forgive me, um, which is probably a whole lot better sinner's prayer. than Because I was actually dependent on him doing the forgiveness rather than on this formula um, being like a sort of a, you know, this magic thing that you say these words and poof, um, you're forgiven and your, your heart is made new. So I, right then I had assurance of, um, of, my, uh, of my salvation and um, began having a love for God's word and communion with him. Um, certainly not perfectly so, but earnestly so and genuinely so. Um. Um, all right, well, let me get to this first question. This first question, um, I'm going to direct this to Carlos and AJ. Uh, Carlos, you've planted Blaze. AJ, how long have you been at Mars Hill? Just as been at Mars Hill? Ten years. Ten years. Ten years. And um, I mean, the vision of Mars Hill is to make disciples plant churches. So that's kind of been the heartbeat that you've had, um, that you've, you've seen, and you've just from Pastor Mark. Let's go all the way down, just start of Acts 29. So um, you might be able to give some insight into this question as well. Um, what does it take to plant a church? Short. Hispanic is helpful. Um, <laughs> I'm one for two. <laughs> Not that smart. Not that smart. There you go. <laughs> Not good um, I, uh, I went to my first boot camp out in Florida, Boca Raton, uh, with Pastor Mark, this was about nine, nine and a half years ago. And uh, so these guys are church planters at Acts 29. These guys are like my big brothers in the sense where you just, you totally love them. You look up to them. You admire what they're doing, the sacrifices they have to make. And, and so I've just grown up around these guys in this, on staff, hanging out with them all the time. Um, and uh, I've, I've even been able to assess quite a few of them. Uh, I got to sit in years in Yvette's assessment and speak into that and, um, and then I just got assessed on, a, was it a week Wednesday. ago, Wednesday, and, and he got to assess me, so he's kind of payback for anything I might have done months ago when I assessed him. But, um, man, I, I, the characteristics I see in these guys is they absolutely love the church. They love the church. Now, some of them come out of church experiences where they see it, man, it wasn't doing what it was supposed to be doing, and so they have oftentimes a, a negative theology regarding church. This is what I don't want it to be. But then as they mature, as they grow in their understanding of scriptures and, and God's love for the church, then they start to develop more of a positive theology of the church. And it's one that they really pour themselves out for. This is, these guys are generally always you know, type A, alpha male kind of guys, and they're, they're driving. They approach any obstacle as one not necessarily to go around but through. And so there's, there's weaknesses with that, and they get a lot of bruises because you can go around obstacles. I don't know if you guys know that. You don't have to go through them all. But uh, that's, that's, have guys like you that that's right. That, I'm, I'm there to help them out. Take a left. 
<laughs> um, they, they just they, they generally always carry it through the pulpit or they carry it through leadership development where they can raise up guys and, and equip them for ministry. And so there's just this sense of, of releasing authority to, to the people that God has gathered around them. Generally, they all carry the pulpit and, uh, and just drive hard the vision of what God has given them. Almost everybody that I've talked to that is a church planner has truly a vision from the Lord of you need to go do this. And, here, and I'll show you a picture of it so that when you get in those times where, uh, like for Pastor Dave, when, when your cars are being lit on fire outside of your home and uh, drunks are coming into the service, uh, definitely inspired by the enemy to disrupt it, you have to be able to look back on that vision and say, okay, God, this is what you told me would happen. Uh, this doesn't feel anything like that, but I'm still going to press through and drive forward. And so they, they tend to be visionary men, and, and they're able to communicate the vision. I, the premier church planner that I've spent so, many t- so much time with, like years with, and, and flying and, and just spending massive amount of time, I got to spend time with Mark Driscoll. That guy, it was, a, it was like four years into the church. They hadn't done much. He'd already grown much acclaim across the nation, but the church itself was very small. And I came in right after God had told him, you focus in on the church. And so... I remember him sitting, it was about 150 people at the church, I'm brand new with my wife, and downtown Seattle, he says, uh, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna preach the gospel, and God's going to gather people to this church, we're going to plant churches, there may come a day where I'm preaching at Husky Stadium, and Husky Stadium seats 70,000 people, and I remember just sitting there at, at 150 people going, well, yeah, when? Like, can we do that tomorrow? Because it, the vision was just so clear and uh, this last Easter, we, we got even closer to that vision coming true where we were at Questfield, a different football stadium. That's the one with the pitchers and the goalies and stuff. And uh, I'm not a sports guy. Questfield. <laughs> and uh, there was like 17,500 people on Easter Sunday. And so it just I think what you find in church planners is they can say, this is where we're going to go. When you, hear, when you hear Lowe's talking about 10 churches in Rio Rancho, there are already men that are like, yeah, I, I see that. I want to play a part in that. And what you want for Santa Fe, the guys that you've gathered, I mean, they love the picture that God gave him that he has faithfully proclaimed to them, and they're backing it up. Right, guys? You guys know it. So I think that's what you see in a church planner. I, I'm not a church planner. I hope to be, in time, a lead pastor of a Mars Hill church, but, um, but I have been around these guys. Tons of love, tons of respect for them. Yeah. I, I, I agree 100% with with AJ, I think the, the biggest thing, first and foremost, is you have to have a vision. Um, AJ just described my life to a T in describing Mark Driscoll's. God's given me pictures. God's, God's shown me things in advance, and I know they're going to happen. And in some of the darkest times and the roughest times we've been through, that's one of the things that God just keeps putting in front of me. They're going, okay, here's what I've called you to so that I am glorified and that lives are impacted and, and, and Santa Fe is reached. And so... Without a vision, you're not calling people to anything. And, and if, if, if you can't call them to anything, why would they follow? And so I think God really instills in church planners, first of all, a vision. And then, and then secondly, I think he backs it up with the burden um, um, for the people that he's called you to, to really preach the gospel and live that out. Um, my heart breaks literally for Santa Fe. Like I, I, Santa Fe, I could be in Seattle. I could be Orlando, Florida, places that I go with Acts 29. And still heavy on my heart is Santa Fe. I, I, I miss it when I'm gone, and I, I want to get back as soon as I can. 
Um, and I love the people of Santa Fe. I, I, I love, I mean, if you've ever driven through Santa Fe, it's one of the, just, it's, the streets right now are a mess, but I, I love that mess. I know that God's going to redeem that mess, and, and I see how he's going to do it. And so I think the second thing, though, is he gives you a burden. I, I see pastors that have come in and through Santa Fe, and it's a shocking to me that they've, they've planted a church or come to a church in Santa Fe, and they hate the people. And it's like, okay, um, what did you think was going to happen when you came to Santa Fe? It's like you can see it the way they talk and the way they preach and the way they interact with the people. It's like you don't like these people, do you, at all? What are you doing planning a church here or planning a church, period? You know, so I think he, after he gives you the vision, he follows it up with the burden um, so, so that it's, it's driving you. Well, let me uh, tag on a question to you, Carlos, about this, your, your burden for Santa Fe and maybe even northern New Mexico. Um, this question is five parts. Um, could you give an appeal? I'm going to read it all, though. Could you give an appeal for church plants in northern New Mexico? Why they are not somewhere else? What cities need it the most? What's your vision for northern New Mexico? So that probably sums it up. And can whites plant churches up there? Yeah. <laughs> you better believe it. No, seriously. Um, um, first question, give me the first question again. Uh, could you give an appeal for church plants in northern New Mexico? Yes. Yes, we need you. To, to, if God has called you and given you a burden and passion for Santa Fe, we need you to plant churches in Santa Fe in northern New Mexico. I mean, seriously, straight up, Santa Fe needs Jesus. As much as I say that I love it, it's a very dark place. And, you know, um, as, Car- as Cardo says that he, he sees his vision for Rio Rancho, our vision is to plant seven churches in, in, in Santa Fe proper. And really, throughout northern New Mexico, we're, we're looking somewhere close to 15 to 20. But, but we, we, there's, I mean, we're not killing it in Santa Fe. We need more people to, to help us accomplish that goal. And so, yeah, I mean, definitely. Can I make an appeal for church planners? Yes, please come. Please come. Why isn't there, why isn't there more church plants in, in Santa Fe, northern New Mexico? I mean, flat out, my honest answer is the enemy. Um, we can't discount that. Um, when you... When you climb Lava Hada Hill, there's, there's a heaviness. I was talking with a young man just this past weekend after service who's serving as an intern in Glorieta, New Mexico, who, who lives in another state. And he's just talking about how dark of a place this is and just how spiritually um, 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 active Santa Fe, northern New Mexico is. And, and, um, it's, and, I said, and he goes, do you agree with that? I said, yeah. You better believe I agree with that. I mean, like, like I said, when I go away, I miss Santa Fe. But also when I go away, I notice the weight. I notice there's a difference. It, it's crazy. And so I think why there hasn't been um, a real push in, in church planning, why more people haven't been called to Santa Fe and, or, or why churches have been planted and then have failed is the enemy, flat out. I mean, flat out. It, it's it's a very dark, demonic place. There's places up um, in White Rock and other, that overlook Santa Fe where witch covens pray against us, the church. Um, in our first, I'll give you an, exa- an example. Like in our first month of church, we're meeting at this place called the Women's Club. So I was out there just, you know, meeting and greeting new people that were coming to the church. And I was talking with this young man. And he had this truck that had like these 44-inch tires on it, chromed out bottom you know typical santa fe dude just talking with them and these people drive up and they hi how are you You know and they walk in not paying much attention they spend some time in 
inside just talking and, and unbeknownst to me, asking a lot of questions of who's the pastor, who's, the, who's the, 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 the student leader, all these things. Well, when they left and they got in their car, that's when I said, hey, well, God bless you guys. You know, you know thank you for stopping in. I look, at their, I look at the back of their car full of, of witchcraft, full of uh, Wiccan insignias. And, and I realized, that they, and, and so I went back and I said, hey, what did those people want? They wanted to know who you were. They wanted to know who. And so why? They can go back and pray literally against us and really work against us. But that's the reality. I mean, it, it happens. Um, uh, about almost a little less than a year ago, a guy walks in and says, claims to be possessed by the demon of Tupac. I mean, just like how, <laughs> just like how he's talking about. No, no, not you. <laughs> it's Mickey Smalls. Okay. But um, it, it's a very dark place. It, it's a very dark place. There's a lot of native spiritualism and a lot of darkness there. And I think that there's real opposition to church planning. Yeah. Um, what were some of the cities that, oh, I mean, all of them. Um, literally, Santa Fe, um, Española. Los Alamos, Taos, Cuba, Farmington, um, Raton, Vegas, Springer, everywhere. I mean, we, we need gospel-centered churches. We want to so saturate our cities with gospel-centered messages that they can't help but hear. And so if they don't hear it from me, they're going to hear it from this guy, and they're going to hear it from that guy. And, and, and we're going to saturate the, this, this region with the gospel. So, yes, I mean, and I think one of the other things is that it's not glamorous to, to, to plant a church in Tucumcari. You know, I, I just found out, and this is the crazy part, when I started, you know, hanging around the Acts 29, I found out that, I guess, apparently to some of you guys, church planning is a sexy thing to do. And I'm like, man, I missed that lesson. In <laughs> uh, this has been a train wreck. And uh, it's just, <laughs> this is not sexy or glamorous. Uh, that. That's not it at all. But I, so I think sometimes, like, who wants to plant a church in Chimayo? <laughs> <laughs> right? You know what I mean? It's just like, uh, I want to go to Orlando or Austin's what the number one city right now. We have tons of people wanting to plant churches in Austin. Well, yeah, that's great. And that's, we should. We should plant churches in Austin. But people in Chimayo and Española need Jesus too. Mm-hmm. One of the things that really inspired me too is when Mark Driscoll came um, a couple of years back. He talked about how the nut that hasn't been cracked it is the reservation. That if we can reach the people on the reservation, there's a huge untold people group that could really make an impact for Jesus Christ. Like, yes and amen. <laughs> let's do something. Let's, let's plant churches. And, and I want to be a part of that. I want to help promote that. And, and um, we've also had a, uh, a girl that comes to our church who is a, translator for the deaf community and the deaf schools located in Santa Fe. Do you guys realize that only 4% of deaf people are reached for Jesus? We've got to plant those churches too. So let's do it. I think, uh, I think another reason why there's not more churches being planted is, is the enemy, the prince of this world, he always attacks infancy. Yeah. Always. He had the, the, the young marriage between Adam and Eve and he stepped in between and wreaked all sorts of havoc. You've got um, just all throughout scripture, you've got these women that are barren. So he, he attacks before they can even conceive a child. You've got uh, him inspiring Pharaoh to take all of the two-year or younger uh, Hebrew children, and, and, and Moses was spared. You see it again uh, with Jesus. And, and so to see it also in church plants, these, these infants, 
well, yeah, Satan's going to try to snuff them out. He's going to try to see them aborted before they even uh, come out of the womb. And, and then he's going to see them, he's going to try to see them wrecked before they can take their first steps. Yeah. And so many, many churches die in those first few years, just as children would die in the Bible times through Satan's work. I think that's where then um, networking becomes so important. Yeah. So that, so that in coaching, yeah. and so that that uh, those babies aren't snuffed out. Yeah. And that way, uh, guys that have gone through this and are and are and have walked where they're about to go can really coach them. Like you said, take a left, yeah. take take a left right here and, and avoid this one, and bec- and and it gives it more of a chance to really survive. I think. So I think that's why, again, I'm, I'm a part, Carlos is a part, AJ's a part of Acts 29 is because we get that networking. I mean, guys, when I wasn't a part of Acts 29, it was nobody out there. I mean, it's just you're this church out there. And, and by the grace of God, I mean, God literally um, has been sustaining us. But but now I still enjoy the brotherhood that I can call up AJ, call up Carlos, and we talk, we rap, we run things by each other around the city and just really be able just to network and really really do great things for God. So I think that's part of it too. Good, man. Um, Pastor Ryan, Pastor Michael, let me give you this question. It sounds like um, this comes from a husband who's um, just wrestling with how to shepherd his wife um, with dealing his, with his sin. He says, um, after receiving forgiveness from my wife and confessing my battle with impurity, her eyes were opened and her worldview changed potentially damaging her ability to trust men as a whole. How do I lead my wife from here? Do I take up the sword and shield with God and protect her from this impurity? Do I expose her to the evil I have known and ask her to fight beside me, submitting her to pain and suffering, which I'm guessing means um, exposing the evil means confessing every time. Um, Maybe there's a battle with sin. So, Pastor Ryan... Oh, how would you uh, counsel this man? Uh, boy, that's a tough one. Um, yeah, I remember having that talk with my wife uh, a year or two in a marriage, uh, telling her, you've heard that men lust. You really don't know. <laughs> um, and then being honest with her about um, some of my own failings. Um, I think that is an important conversation to have. I think these days... Um, it's more unavoidable uh, because this issue is being talked about in churches more now than it was um, 15 years ago. Um, so I think I think wives are probably generally, even apart from their husbands um, telling them so, I think wives are generally more aware of the problem of lust in men than they, they were decades ago. Um, I do think you should be careful about how much you tell your wife. I don't think, um, on the one hand, you know, David says, Psalm 32, and I kept quiet about my sin, my bones groaned, and, you know, your hand was heavy upon me. And uh, we're supposed to confess our sin. Um, James 5 says, confess your sins one to another and, uh, and be healed. Um, but that doesn't say every sin that uh, is every, you know, hint of lust um, should be confessed to your wife. I think that's more than she has to bear, personally speaking. So that's now a wisdom issue between, okay, at what point is this public, you know, at what point is this 
um, a, a living room talk with my wife? And um, in, in, at what point is this something I, I confess it and I pray and I walk myself through the gospel again and um, pray that you'd restore the joy of my salvation, Lord? Uh, and I deal with this on my own or something in between where you, you go to a brother and you confess it to him. Boy, um, I sure wouldn't want to prescribe rules uh, about when to do which of those things. I just think it requires wisdom to know which is, is needed. And so I think probably the, one of the best ways of thinking through this is to think through it with somebody, um, someone more mature, someone older than you, um, someone more godly and more experienced who can, who can help you think through what's appropriate for your wife um, to hear from you and, and what, what is probably more than, than she's required to bear as your wife. What do you think, Mike? That sounds right to me. Sounds right to me. Yeah, I mean, I think <clears throat> that you, uh, you know, obviously that you display transparency and honesty with your wife. Um, I think it's a, I think it's a great piece of counsel to have a, a guy that you know and trust. He's holding you accountable uh, on these things. Um, you know that you can talk these things through with and and probably towards getting some counsel on on uh, from him on you know how much you're going into stuff so I don't know it's a tightrope you know I I, um, I, I think yeah, it's tricky I think uh, always they're on the side of being transparent and honest though I'd say um, and then just trying to yeah gauge you know how, what the depth of detail. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. So I, I think it's not just a lust issue. I think um, I don't owe it to my wife. I don't do her any favors, let's put it that way, um, to confess every small bit of anger or doubt or aggravation that I have in my heart um, to her. Um, I don't think that, I think that's sort of a skewed view of intimacy and honesty. Um, again, I don't think it's her responsibility to bear that roller coaster of, of emotion and, and acceptance if she's um, privy to every single thought. I mean, the Lord just hasn't made us to know each other's thoughts. He knows our thoughts, and, um, and we walk with him in those things. And, and there are some things that are appropriate to share to wives and appropriate to share with friends or to share with pastors. Um, but I think that you know, some of us have gotten hold of an idea of, of honesty and intimacy in marriage, and that's a wonderful thing. It's certainly a biblical principle. Um, but if you think that this means now uh, sharing every single thought, helpful or not, to your wife, it, it may be more selfish than helpful. It may be you, oh, there, I, I did my thing. I got rid of it. I, yeah, you got rid of it and you threw it on her. Um, sometimes it's a... Uh, a loving thing to remember Proverbs that a fool tells all. Um, I don't know. But again, as soon as I say that, I want to say, but if that's what you're hearing and you're going away from here to cover up your sin, shame on you. And there are, you know, 50 verses you're not thinking about. Um, it's, a, like you said, a tightrope. I think it's a great word picture. It's, you know, and it's... it's uh... <clears throat> leading your wife and believing and modeling the gospel as well, isn't it? You know, that 
Um, and Jesus was the one who said, come to me, all those who are heavy laden and burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus does that <laughs> for us and then enable, you know, enables us to, uh, I think, to lead our wives in, in believing the gospel and, and modeling the gospel. And, and uh, that might not be the right phrase, modeling the gospel, but living out the implications of the gospel in front of our wives. So let, let, let me just, because I hear what you're saying, and, and maybe this might be the question to ask then. So if you're using your wife as a functional savior, where it's like, okay, I'm going to dump everything in my wife, I can go to my wife, rather than going to Jesus, then that, that's, no, that's not wise. Great way of putting that's it. That's a really good yeah. way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's making our wives out to be lawgiver and grace giver. You know, I mean, there is yeah. something of human forgiveness for sure. That's a big part of marriage. But if we're looking for our acceptance in our wives, um, I think we're, we're missing the cross and, and the real forgiveness that we have and, and the real freedom then that comes, real energizing freedom that comes in the gospel for our marriage and the fight against lust. Um, you know, a wife that says, it's okay, I forgive you, makes you feel better right then. Um, I don't know that it, it helps you fight lust next time. She's put herself in the place of God, right? Yeah. Okay, I forgive you. So really, I mean, in some ways it comes back to what AJ was saying in the Q&A earlier in in terms of assessing our our motives as well in, in how we're doing this so that we're not looking for some kind of comfort in an ultimate savior, right? What... We're, like in the idols of the heart, remember you were talking about, let's get after the motive. Why, why do I want this sense of value? Is there some kind of comfort I'm looking for that I'm not looking, you know, that I'm not trusting Jesus to, to me? You know, I think we have to ask the question, why, why would I be going to my wife, you know, for everything, in all, for everything and throwing all of this on her? The motive of the heart, am I really trying to be honest with her? Am I really trying to lead her? Or am I just dumping it all out so I feel better about myself and she's a wreck for a week rather than, you know, I'm going to believe the gospel in front of her and with her and, and we're going to trust in Jesus together. And Yeah, so I think Carl sets a great way of saying that. Yeah. And it could be motivated um, by hearing this as a new law, right? So you hear, uh, this is what godly husbands do. They're honest with their wives about lust. And so you make this this permeating law now, and so you feel your acceptance with God mm. in part by whether you're consistent with confessing it to your wife. But, but again, that's, that's, a, that's an effort, right? That's, a, that's seeking merit. That's doing something to try to ease conscience rather than going to the cross mm. and finding forgiveness there. Too, there's a myth that if you tell her of your sexual sin, you're going to destroy her. Because I believe that you entering into that sexual sin has already destroyed her. She may not know why she feels disconnected from you. She may not know why she doesn't trust you. She may not know why there's jealousy towards other women that would for no reason be in her heart, but the enemy does because the enemy was watching you stare at your computer screen or your phone screen and and the way that you were watching that woman walk by at the restaurant, the enemy saw that, and you, what do you think he's going to do with that? He's going to take it to your wife. He's going to accuse her. He's going to condemn her. Sure. 
So I, I think to, to believe that, and I don't want to, I don't want to hurt her with this information is foolish, because you already have. I believe that we're to walk in the light. If we don't say, "This is how I sinned against you," then I think in a lot of ways you're saying I have no sin, and, and Scripture says then you're a liar. And I think too, there's this idea of how many times do I have to forgive my brother? Seventy times. Seven. Okay, that's a lot of times. I don't do math very well. That's a lot of times. And the idea I hear is this is the same sin. This is the same sin. Hey, um, please forgive me, bro. That was anger and I I hit you. Just over and over and over again. There's this sense that I'm to do this with him because I'm still wrapped up in the sin. I still lash out against him and I need his forgiveness. Well, if I'm still looking at porn and, and I'm sinning against my wife in that, I think that it can happen over and over and over again until God finally shows you, like, how many times will you do this against your wife? But to keep that in, I, I, just, I would not recommend that. And this question does seem to be more about really revealing maybe the first time, like, hey, I'm totally into porn in this way. I look at it eight hours a day, and I don't want to break my, heart's, my wife's heart with that, as opposed to maybe ah, there was another impure thought. There was another impure. It really does sound like it's an initial conversation. Well, I think this guy is told his wife the first time, yeah. right? And he's asking, do I keep doing this? Do I... And confessing my battle with impurity. I think you've got to walk in the light. I think that it does bring a unity between a husband and wife, and I, I just know that where the enemy sits in that. I, I'm sitting at dinner with my wife last night, and uh, she asked me about what cohort I'm going to be inside of Retrain. And uh, I responded to her frustrated, and it really upset her, and I didn't realize why I responded frustrated, because I don't know what cohort I'm going to be in. So my lack of trust that God's going to put me in with a group of guys that don't suck, which is what he didn't do the first year, which is why I dropped out and haven't been back since. But I'm hoping... Michael was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah I, was, I was very jealous of his cohort. Uh, but I really want a good cohort. I want to make the most of my time up in Seattle. It's dreary and, re- and lame, and I lived there for 10 years. I left there. And I don't want to go back there and hang out with people that don't want to do the same things I want to do. So I was really frustrated, and I wasn't trusting the Lord. But it was in that sin, so to bring it back to just anger and and rage that came up, I I responded to her wrongly out of that. Well, then I need to tell her, like, yeah, I was was totally frustrated. I wasn't trusting the Lord, and, and in that, I sinned against you. You didn't know why I sinned against you, but I did. And you didn't know why you felt attacked, but you were. It was because of this. I believe that Satan was already at work in that short conversation uh, that I had over dinner. And I think Satan's already at work in your life if you're looking at porn between you and your wife. But don't you think there's some things that are, your wife didn't hear you say, didn't know you thought it. I mean, you know, what if she's backing out of the driveway, you're watching, you know, she rolls over a sprinkler and you thought, oh, man, what a bad driver. I mean, are you required to tell your wife when she comes home? Hey, honey, when you know you were backing out and I saw you hit that sprinkler, I just want you to know I rolled my eyes and I thought you're a horrible driver, but um, I'm sorry. Yeah, I, don't, I, I, I don't think it's I'm sorry. I think it's please forgive me. I had contempt for you. I, I murdered you in my heart. And, and I want to give you grace, and I didn't give you grace in that. I, man, I've busted water pipes just by digging holes, and, and that was, that was, I was told there's, there's water pipes under here. That's what you're trying to expose. And I still broke them. You... You were driving. You've got five kids in the car. They're all screaming. I drive with them as little as I can because they're always screaming. And I understand. that message. So I, I don't know. I, I think that there's a lot of beauty that can come from resting on the gospel says it works. 
it's, we've been given a ministry of reconciliation. My contempt for you as you broke that sprinkler, that's murder. I want to be reconciled. I, don't, I think that can, I think it opened a lot well, of doors. Well, I think it also, too, I think, sorry. But no, I, go I think it's, I I'm think also, too, we're, we're forgetting, we're forgetting the fact that God is also so designed even to use our, our sin for his glory in our wives' lives. I mean, to really sanctify our wives, to make her more like Jesus in this fact. And, and to save our wife from going, oh, I don't want to tell her this because this is going to be an opportunity for sanctification. Not that we sin so that our wives are sanctified. Like, hey, babe, I did that so that God can grow you. <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome. Yeah, yeah. You're welcome. Right? Yeah. Yeah, no, we but we also are, are even trying to circumvent the work of God in our wives' lives. And the process of sanctification, just as when they sin against us, we have the opportunity to grow in our godliness and sanctification with them. Yeah, there's, there's some huge lesson uh, I, I've got a guy up in Seattle. I've been working with him. He was on staff. I had to let him go because he was, he was looking at porn. And we gave him a break saying, like, man, we love you. and We love your wife. And, and we want to put you in probation. And the brothers in the department are going to walk with you. And we're all going to get that irritating program, Covenant Eyes, on our machines. And, and we're going to deal with all the grief that creates at home because our wives are going to be looking at everything, saying there's red flags all over the place. No, I was just at YouTube, and I was looking at the church video. But... We did all that for the guy, and he still just kept going back to the toilet looking at porn. And as I'm, as I'm counseling with them both, she has such self-righteousness. She is literally strangling this dude because of his porn. And so you take him to that text in, in Luke where the guy's forgiven, I don't know, the equivalent of like a billion dollars by the king. And then some dude owes him a hundred, and he throws him in debtor's prison. Like, as she has to forgive this constant sin of you looking at porn because your heart is not in line with the Lord and you are looking to other idols, she has to remember, and I have done this countless times with God. My debt is a cosmic debt. It's an eternal debt. Your debt to me is temporal, and it's minimal in comparison. And so it lets that just continually work in her heart as well. I I wouldn't want to keep that from my wife, especially... I wouldn't want that ache in my bones either of keeping that sin from her. It's a good word. Um, and I think one thing we should need to remember is, I think in evangelicalism, we've turned confession into repentance. Yeah. That's right. Confession isn't repentance. That's right. You don't just go, oh, yeah, I'm done. Ain't nothing's changed. You just got it off your chest. Repentance is turning. You turn away from the sin into Jesus. Uh, you, can't, you can't look at the sin and look at Jesus at the same time. You, repentance is turning. So confession is um, the start of repentance, but it's not repentance. Right. So saying, well, I confess to my wife, so I repented. Well, have you turned away from that sin? Well, I know I still do. I just confess to her. That's not repenting. That's, right. That's, That's just Word. confession. Yeah. Um, okay. I guess just finally on that, I mean, that's a, that's a great question. <clears throat> You know, maybe part of it's the approach, um, you know, in, in what we're wrestling through right here, you know, that, that um, approaching this through the gospel and knowing that Jesus has forgiven us uh, in his grace then gives us the chance to approach our wives in the right way from that so that we're not going to our wives as the, as the functional, savior. functional savior or old counterfeit savior or whatever, but going in the right way. You know, we've got, so she's run over the sprinkler. I've had this reaction. By the way, my wife didn't do that ever. <laughs> you know, so, I, you know, I believe in the gospel. I'm trusting that Jesus has forgiven me for that. You know, re- repented, truly repented, turn 
from that sin, then I'm able to approach my wife in the right way on that. That's good. You know, so maybe that, I mean, maybe that's part of the, the wrestle, you know, how we're approaching our wives. I mean, I think that goes off how we initially stepped out on the question, you know, what's our, what's our motive in our relationship with our wife at that moment? Well, you know, as we're believing the gospel, we've repented of the sin. We know that Jesus has forgiven us. I'm free. I'm forgiven. I'm free. I can. It can all be in the light. It, you know. And then I, the approach to my wife is the right is the right way. And I'm going to have a sense of, uh, you know, living transparent life before her in the gospel. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 One more question. Uh, we got about ten minutes. Uh, whoever wants to take it. Uh, how does a godly man address a brother, quote-unquote, who is walking away from his family, wife, and faith? That's a good question. Michael? <laughs> <laughs> I, <clears throat> you, uh, <clears throat> let me demonstrate on Carlos what you did. <laughs> I think the f- I, I guess my first impulse would be to pursue the guy hard, yeah, and to to I don't want to go after him and uh, call him out on the carpet on those things and and in love and truth and tr- you know figure out what's going on with all those things and and I mean the first thing at least that is I'd want to pursue him hard and then you'd have to see where he goes with that. Obviously, I mean he's going to go the direction he's going to go on that but that'd be the initial thing I'd say anyway but I don't know Carlos what do you think I agree I think that if you see this happening God has so placed you in that person's life especially if you have if you have an ability and a means to speak into his life if God's giving you that ability to open like to really be frank and, and really hit the guy between the eyes I think you really need to I think you really need to say you're about to make the biggest mistake of your life you're about to enter into a sin that you really have no clue um um, about and the ramifications that's going to lead there, and, and you're really just doing what Matthew 18 tells us to do is to, is to go to your brother and say, "Hey, you're in sin. You're about to, you're, you're really blowing it. Even though you haven't actually physically done it, your heart's there, because you're about to just execute that and and really go after him hard and say, you, you need to snap out of this, bro. Here's what the Word of God says. And yeah, there's there's something super beautiful about church discipline." So the wife has gone to him, please don't leave me, don't abandon your faith, I'm, I'm here, you're sinning against me. Uh, the man refuses to listen, so then, then others get involved, and, and each time there's this idea of winning him, to just to save him from the loss that he was about to enter into. And then there's that just, at times, awkward, horrifying situation of saying, well, now we're going in front of the body, and, and all of you, so you're the body, we're, we're asking you guys, go, you know, you know Jimmy, and uh, he went full retard. So you got to go after him, and you got to you got to pray for him. Okay, I, that's in the ESV, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and 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 then the hope is that that you will win him. But at the same time, there's this purge the evil one from among you. And so there's even steps beyond that of I'm gonna you're gone. You you you're you're out of this. You are the evil one because you refuse to acknowledge what God is telling you. It's written in your heart. It's written in ours. We're telling you. We're showing you the scriptures. Uh, so you're gone now. And so I think you you faithfully follow uh, Matthew 18 in that regard. And it's hard, man. I don't know how many people. I was just talking to a girl 
on the phone the other day. She, she's calling me up. She's one of my leaders, and somebody had defriended her on Facebook. And it's amazing that we have these kinds of conversations as pastors because you don't have any book you can look to in Scripture to be like, what do you do when somebody digitally defriends you? <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So uh, let's see. It's probably unkind. It's inconsiderate. It's, I'll, I'll try to find some sins to explain to you. Okay, so what do you do? Go to them. Oh, well, I, I haven't talked to them yet. Well, then why are you talking to me? Like, you go to them. And, or other people, I went to them, and they, they just said, well, deal with it. We're, I, you know, I was just trying to lean up my, my Facebook stuff. Well, why did you add 25 other friends the same day that you cut me down? Well, just don't worry about it. And, and they stopped there. They didn't listen to me. They said, just get over it. No, well, then you bring somebody along. You say, hey, don't you think that's unkind? There's another step to that? Yeah, it's written right after the first step. I mean, I don't mind doing church discipline on somebody that refuses to repent for the unkindness of defriending somebody on Facebook. If it gets to that point, there's a real sin in their heart that has taken a deep root. If they're like, I'm ignoring the person I defriended, I'm ignoring the community group leader that I sit under, and now I'm going to go to the church. I refuse to be kind to this person. Well, then you're going to get church discipline. If the Puritans can do it for a guy that's not giving his wife an orgasm, then I think we could do it for people (laughs) that are not friending people properly in Facebook. Oh, Amen. Hey, oh, hey. <laughs> really? The Puritans? That was money. I didn't come across that. <laughs> okay, you're going to add on to this guy. question. Ryan, see you. what if this brother is your father? Hmm. It makes it uh, easy to go to him as a father. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm assuming that the question is, um, do I have that right, given that he's an authority in my life? Mm-hmm. And the answer is yes, you do. Um, so I think Carlos was kind of getting at something a little bit ago about um, if you, 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 I think you began by saying, if you really know this person well, um, I think that's an important thing. If there's someone who's a, in a better position to really go after them on, you know, sort of a stage one confrontation, um, you know, it might be that you know them, but there are other people who are best friends with them who can, can, um, can speak into their lives more directly and more personally. Well, with a father, I mean, uh, who, who better to speak into his life and to be personal and direct than a son? Um, so that's, that's not easy. Um, I know from personal experience. And, um, and yet it, it, it's, uh, it needs to be done in some ways, just like it needs to be done with a, a with anyone else. I mean, at, at that point, you're you're not just dealing with a dad. You're dealing with a brother, a so-called brother, uh, someone who's calling themselves a brother or has called themselves a brother, and you um, need to be persistent and patient um, to plead with them and to try to persuade them. Uh, there's a lot of peas, I guess, but. Um, yeah, persistent, patiently, plead and try to persuade. And <laughs> I'll throw another P, pray. Um, need to pray, pray that God would open hearts. Because, you know, no, um, no amount of Bible verses, no, you know, super sales tactics or persuasion or even the world's best biblical counselor um, can guarantee change and conviction. Only the Holy Spirit can bring that. So um, I would say... Pray for your brother or your dad um, as they're going through that. Ask God to do a mighty work. One of the that's helpful, brother. I think I, one of the things that makes me think of is <clears throat> if if you are that closest person, 
you know, you are the son to your dad or the best friend to the guy who's doing this or whatever. <clears throat> you know, there's part of us that wants to bail out, you know, oh, it's his sin or whatever, I'm not responsible, whatever. That, but I think what you're pushing home is really good, that you are responsible. They are a so-called brother. You know, you are the closest point of contact relationally or whatever. And so that puts you that puts you in the place to have to do it. Yeah, so uh, then follow the peas. <laughs> and do it respectfully. You know, you, you do it... Um, Titus talks about that. Um, is it Titus? Or, uh, maybe it's First Timothy. Uh, how you rebuke an, an older man? You know, you you do it with with gentleness. Um, I, I think that you know there should be some some carefulness, some humility, some reverence, some thankfulness to him and to God for uh, how God has used that that man in your life. Um, and, and you know, you could have a a horrible dad, and yet he's the means, the physical means by which God has brought you into this world, and you should thank God uh, for him and respect him accordingly, um, but you need to also be bold and, and confront, and, and if you've never done that, never had that kind of relationship with your dad, boy, this is, is going to be new territory, but especially if you're the sort of the Christian that's closest to him, um, you really do have that responsibility, I believe. Well, thanks, guys. Uh, that was great stuff, very helpful. Um, we're going to close here in a second with some prayer. Um, again, let me encourage you guys. Um, I really believe um, what you see in the Bible, and um, I think what um, Pastor Mark Driscoll has said and Tim Cowell, a lot of these guys have said, uh, if you win the men, you win the city. Uh, it starts in here with us what we've learned, what we've talked about. Um, regardless of what you do um, in the church or in life, you're a leader. You're, you're, you're a person of influence in, in, in some circle you're in, whether it's formally a community group leader, an elder, um, or informally um, just a coworker, a neighbor. Um, if you're married, then it is you're a husband and possibly a father, um, uncle, whatever it is. You're leaders. And if we want to see change in this state, we've talked about the darkness. I think each one of us talked about how messed up this state is, how messed up the city is, and how messed up Santa Fe is. Um, you want to see change? Well, men, get to it. It starts in here. You want to see change? It's not about hoping that someone else picks up the tools and goes to work. Right. It starts in here, and from outpouring from the gospel, the truths of who we are in Christ. And as men under Christ, under our good shepherd, we are called to lead. We are called to pastor our homes. We are called to lead our family out in mission. People ask me, well, you know, how, how do I lead my kid out in mission? Do I have to drop them off at youth group? Well, my question is, has your kid ever seen you share Jesus with someone? Then how does he know you're really excited about Jesus? Have you ever repented in front of your children or your wife or your neighbor or your coworker? So, fellas, don't look, don't think, okay, I'm going to take this. This is great information. I'm praying that this brings about transformation in the lives of men in the city, and it starts with you.
and how you influence other men. So if you're in here, you can hear my voice. You're a leader, and you're called to take what's been taught to you by Pastor Michael or Pastor Carlos, and even during the Q&As, Pastor Ryan or Pastor AJ, you're to take this out and share it and lead it out with other men. Um, so you want to see change. You want to see churches planted. Well, it starts here. It's not some imaginary thing that's going to happen. By God's grace, you're here. It starts with you. So with that, Ryan, Pastor Ryan, will you close us in prayer? Father, we're humbled by your grace. We're reminded of our sin, uh, our laziness, our lust, our, our apathy, our neglect of spiritual disciplines. Lord, we pray for your help to see to see our sin more clearly and, Lord, to see the gospel as powerfully um, working in our hearts and lives, both for the cleansing of consciences and the freeing to freeing power to change. We pray, Lord, for you to fix hundreds of things that are broken in the lives represented here in this room. Lord, there are marriages that are on the brink. Um, there are jobs that are about to be lost and at the fault of one who's about to be fired. And we, we pray, Lord, for, uh, for you to empower us to do your work, to be growing in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. Pray you'd quicken us in your word. We pray you'd keep our eyes from beholding worthless things. We pray, Lord, you'd give us clarity about what's best in our busy lives. We pray for boldness and courage to lead. We pray, Lord, for help from others in our church, in our churches. Um, Lord, to, to walk together in, in thinking through how to lead our homes or how to do family worship or how to discipline kids or how to speak truth into each other's lives. Lord, we... We have your word and we have your spirit and we also have each other and we're thankful for that. We pray your spirit, your word, and your people would, um, would come together in our lives to continue to grow us and to shape us into the image of our Savior. And Lord, we, we want to thank you today for that great hope that what you've started you'll complete in Christ. That those whom you justified you will one day glorify. And so Lord, we're, we're probably all tempted to leave here feeling extremely inadequate and convicted and guilty. And many of us won't sufficiently run to the cross to find um, the joy in our salvation uh, again. And, um, and we pray that we would. We pray that you would help us to do that. And we pray, Lord, um, for you to, to do wonderful things uh, from our time together. We thank you for the churches represented, these brothers here. We pray. Lord, that you would continue to do great things in our city, in our state, um, for your namesake and beyond, far beyond our state, Lord, and in the nations. We pray you would exalt yourself and spread your glory broader and deeper. We pray all this in Christ's name.
Amen. Well, thanks, guys. Don't forget to stop by the Resource Center if you want to get some books. Um, Have a great rest of your day.